You're listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast, your weekly podcast looking at all things Warhammer. Hello and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Sprues and Brews podcast. On this episode, Jay is going to be sitting down with the developers of Eldful Chronicles, chatting about their upcoming Kickstarter project, Northern Winds. This is also available on our YouTube channel as a video. The link will be in the podcast notes if you want to check that out. For now, I'm going to hand over to Jay and we'll be back with our normal podcast very, very soon. So, hello and welcome to another Sprues and Brews video. Um, today we're joined by Tarja and Ziga from Free Company Games. Uh, hi guys, nice to see you. Thanks for coming on to the, uh, the show. Hey, thank you for having us. Thank you for having no. us, yeah. No problem, are you Just both well? Just to clarify, I'm Ziga and this is Tasha. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you both well? Yeah, we're doing great. We're a bit busy. It's the last month before the Kickstarter. So, yeah, things are getting busy. But other than that, we're great. Yeah, brilliant. Good to hear, good to hear. So um, I think we'll start, if you, if you want to start just giving a, a quick introduction to yourselves, Free Company, and also also L4 Chronicles. You want to start? No, no, you should do it. <laughs> okay, so um, I guess he's the creator, I'm the co-creator, and uh, he's also the owner of Free Company TOO. It's a Slovenian-based uh, company, and we're basically a small company, let's say, of geeks and enthusiasts that started creating their own war game, I guess, uh, two years ago. So two years ago, we were first on Kickstarter in 2021, and it was successful. So then we opened, uh, well, then we continued our company, and here we are, two years later, creating our next Kickstarter. Oh, brilliant. Yes, yeah, so that your original Kickstarter campaign for L4 Chronicles, that's, that was fulfilled earlier this year, wasn't it? Went out to all the backers. Um, uh, yeah, it it got fulfilled in about January, February, because it got like super delayed because of the global situation and so on. But yeah. Yeah, and of course, like uh, a few rogue uh, parcels every now and then, they, they got lost or redirected or didn't get <laughs> delivered, and a few even stolen, uh, port oh, piracy wow. and all that. Yeah. Uh, but but other than that, um, I think it went pretty smoothly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So. So, so I was a, I was a, an all-in backer. So I, I got everything delivered, and, and yeah, I, I love the game. I think it's brilliant. So that, that's awesome. been, uh, been here for a few months now. Um, so um, yeah, like you mentioned, that there's a, the, you're launching a new Kickstarter in June, I think, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, June twentieth. June twentieth. Official exactly. date, yeah. Okay, and this is for um, Northern Wind, which is. It's not just an expansion for the core game. It, it, it's also a, a sort of two games in one. Yes. Um, so I think before we jump into that bit, because that's the really interesting bit, that's what we're here to talk about today, maybe it's just worth just spending a few minutes talking about what L4 Chronicles and, and, and what that game is and, and the type of game it is, and then we'll go on to Northern Wind. Yeah, sure. So, well. Come on. <laughs> okay, maybe just an important plug. Uh, Alpha Chronicles as a skirmish game already has uh, one smaller expansion. We call it Reinforcement Pack, called the Wayfarers. 
which you can actually order right now on the Elfro Chronicles uh, web shop. Uh, and yeah, happy to say that we've spent our weekend packing all the wayfarers and they are basically starting to ship out. I believe that the first batch is shipping out tomorrow. So yeah, from now on they are available for order and delivery. Uh, but yeah, other than that, um, what is Elfo Chronicles skirmish game? Uh, where should we start? <laughs> so the general description is that Elfo Chronicles is a tabletop skirmish war game. Um, so in the sense that it is deeply tactical and uh, more combat oriented, uh, while it is a skirmish. So each side, each player that plays against each other, for example, or against the game, has a small repertoire of uh, miniatures under their command. Um, that's why it's a skirmish. Yeah, and it's a game played with miniatures. Uh, what else? I, I, I would say that like it's, you know, we put, uh, we at Free Company basically put a lot of attention to every single model we make. Mm -hmm. um, the game we are trying to make is, um, we are trying to resemble like uh, engagements of adventurers basically in a fantasy world meaning that each player is playing, uh, you know, an enclosed group of adventurers, uh, you know, handpicked by the player. Uh, so that's why we want to make every single adventurer, every single model unique uh, as much as possible. So, so in a sense, they represent like a certain profession in the setting, uh, but at the same time, you could refer to them almost like nameless characters. So each, each model has very unique, both abilities, um, as well as looks and everything related. Mm -hmm. That means that basically when you have, for example, three to five models on your side, uh, each one of them is specific. So each one has certain abilities, items that make it unique. And you can see this on their profile cards. So these profile cards are, are basically um, cards that you get with the game. They're, well, you could actually not have them. Uh, most war games don't have cards, for example, but uh, we designed our cards so that you have an easier time referring to the character and actually remembering what is available to you. And yeah, uh, you on this card, you can see what the model is capable of. Um, well, I mean, that's just basically the common profiles. I mean, we do have profiles in other games as well. Um, but I guess what extra our profiles have is the other cards, the upgrades and schemes. Uh, so those are additional cards, basically upgrades give you extra items, extra abilities and so on. You can attach to your models to make them even more unique, even more specialized, uh, you know, according to your needs uh, mm -hmm. and what you want to achieve on the battlefield. Uh, yeah. So in Elf and yeah, so in Alpha Chronicles, uh, how the game is structured, um, an important part is that players basically undertake different quests. And these different quests can have many different outcomes. Uh, and uh, important to add here, killing is just one of the, you know, ways of playing Alpha Chronicles. Like there's many different ways uh, and many, you know, different means how you can get to the victory. Uh, really depends on the quest and its objectives. Um, other than that, maybe just to clarify more about the game size and so on. Uh, typically, when we are like designing the most balanced format, and now that we are also designing the organized play, we are aiming at 65 points, meaning that this on the table means like three to four models, right. uh, as well as a few upgrades for players to choose from. 
and maybe just like a, an interesting thing to add, like in the organized play, we want to have something like a side deck. So basically when players, uh, you would have more points to recruit from. So let's say like 80, 85 points. Uh, and you could always have like uh, a model or a few upgrades, you know, sitting on the bench. And then you can, you know, before the game starts, you can change a few things depending on the quest. Yeah, yeah tell yeah, your yeah. warband to the quest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. depending yeah, so on the quest, the enemy and so on. Yeah, um, cool. So, so yeah. I think to summarize, you have models represented by miniatures and their profile cards, and you use them on the battlefield, which is usually an open field, at least in the skirmish war game, and you undertake quests. Uh, these quests have, um, I guess, objectives, and the better you uh, undertake them, I guess, the better you score. I mean, the better you, yeah, you get adapted to that. But yeah. uh, I guess, like, if we move from there to the gameplay, what we wanted to achieve with the gameplay is that it's both immersive, mm -hmm. highly tactical, that it at the same time resembles real life, in a sense. Because uh, like many of us um, working on the game, we do practice some historical martial arts, martial arts and stuff like that. Uh, so it's important for us, like, to so that the combat, you know, resembles a you bit can like tell the it's definitely been inspired by that, by that sort of background, yeah, yeah, of yeah, the yeah, Japanese yeah. theme and, and the martial arts, yeah, with the that fantasy well, sort of mix. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, as well as it's not to underestimate like the influence of like historical medieval martial arts and stuff like that on our design process. Uh, we really want to keep that like you know um, simultaneous engagement kind of spirit of things, not just basically a turn-based combat in a sense. Yeah, that's interesting actually because that's one I think. <laughs> quite unique so so the actual um uh way you, the players play the game there's lots of actions and reactions so there are turns but both players are participating throughout the entire game reacting to the yeah. a bit yeah. like i would say um infinity a, a little bit like infinity but it, it has got its differences as well uh you've got like the stamina sort of resource that sort of um yeah dictates how often your models can react and there's ways to influence the stamina and you can use like taunt mechanics and things like this yeah. to sort of draw out reactions like you say it's, it's very tactical um and I, I i would say you could compare it a little bit to infinity but it, you have a smaller sort of selection of miniatures in your warband that you're using and I, I do feel that the sort of engagements feel a lot more sort of intense uh than infinity so it's cool and of course you've got magic thrown in yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the, the the models have access to different spell laws, and it's quite a um, substantive sort of list of spells that you've sort of designed as well. Lots of different mm -hmm. schools of magic, um, and I think there's there's four fa base factions at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, but you mentioned the way wayfinders. Uh, Wayfarers, yeah. sorry, Wayfarers expansion, which has added some additional options for those warbands, and some of them aren't. They're almost like mercenaries or from yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, I think two are mercenaries. One, uh, I think both are semi-neutral. One from the Empire and one from the Coalition. Especially the Coalition one is interesting because she's mounted, mounted. So yes, the, the yeah. Slayer Dragonia. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, as you as you said, like um, I think Infinity really keeps like the intri like the intense kind of combat vibe, but at the same time we wanted to go in a different direction. And we also wanted like to introduce more resource managing, as you mentioned, with the activation points. Uh, so you have them both for actions and reactions and things like that. 
Um, and so, for yeah. each separate model. Yeah, yeah, for each separate model, mm. so that they are not sharing them across the. Yeah, that's something in Infinity you can sort of pile all your orders on a single mini and get them running around mm -hmm. the board. But here, your whole warband has to work together, and you have to. Um, and, it, and, and it's not just the, the reactions that you're using those resources for. I know some of the, the mages and the wizards are using those resources for, for, for accumulating mana and casting spells yeah, yeah, and summoning exactly. creatures. It, it's quite, um, uh, you get a lot of options as a player. And like you say, very, very tactical. And yeah, then I think yeah. the other sort of really, really interesting bit for me as well, which I think is very, very unique. And um, I mean, I, I played L4 Chronicles. I played a lot of it on my own because you've got the um, AI mechanic. You can play against the... Um, yeah. The game itself which is fantastic especially you know i mean we've just come out of lockdowns but when we were in lockdown that, that was brilliant so i think it's a it's a great way to like how to train and basically prepare yourself uh, on on actual engagement <laughs> with yeah. other players so uh to clarify uh, alpha chronicles can be played solo so by yourself against the game because the game has an inbuilt ai i guess you get you get hostile behavior cards that tell you how the hostiles uh, behave during their turn uh, and then you can play cooperatively with another player against the game or you can play pvp so against other players yeah, i think these are like big factors like especially yeah. the co-op we are receiving a lot of like positive oh, yeah. feedback it from is, it it is brilliant i i, I play mainly co-op with my, with my brothers actually and, and we love that and i mean you can sort of play like warhammer and, and games mm -hmm. like that in teams but you can't play it against an AI, which so this is really, really, really cool to, to do that. And yeah. some of the, um, you know, the monsters that have, you've, you've released miniatures for in the in the, the the core game as well, the sort of earth and elementals, uh, the, these are sort of your main AI combatants, uh, are really, really interesting sort of um, uh, monsters to, to play against as well. Happy to hear. Yeah, and now we're actually trying to develop an AI for each and every model. So mm -hmm. every oh, wow. one of the older models that you see from the version one, the Elf Chronicles, uh, will eventually probably have an AI. Uh, so yeah, you can play against every model. Yeah, that's oh, wow. a huge ambition. Yeah, I think that, that. I mean, for now we have two whole factions. Yeah, yeah. Empire of Soga and Hellion League already have the AIs uploaded to our webpage. Yeah. Uh, and we are doing the same for the Sand Kingdoms and Coalition. Those are a bit more difficult to do, uh, <laughs> since they are much more squishy than the other two factions. Um, but at the same time, like it allows a lot of, uh, you know, intricacy and so on. But one amazing thing that our friend Samo, uh, Bubble Soldier on Discord, uh, like he's amazing. He plays almost every game under the sun and he's amazing at them. Um, so yeah, what he suggested is to make, uh, you know, unique AIs. So not that like model has only one AI, but at some point we want to make it so that like sentient models, so let's say humanoids and so on can have like multiple different AIs. So it's like when they, you know, spawn on the field, uh, it would be a bit randomized what kind of profile they get, depending like almost on their temperament, like whether they are more aggressive, more defensive uh, and so on. So, yeah, that's like a few big things like uh, in which directions we want to take the game uh, when it comes to co-op and playing against like the environment, the monsters and so on. Uh, that and of course, like uh, with every single expansion, so on, we want to make new enemies. Uh, this is of course true for the Northern Wind, uh, which will bring the terrifying Oni, 
and a few other things we can talk about later. Yes. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but otherwise, we have six different elements of magic that are on our to-do list <laughs> in the future. Like earthen creatures are representative of earth element, of course, as the name suggests. Uh, but then again, yeah, we have a huge backlog of doing <laughs> all other elements as well in the same manner. So yeah, and of course, it will be different in character. Like earthen creatures are perhaps uh, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but like you could say they're the more boring ones, basically <laughs> a lot of a lot of armor and a lot of like straightforward approach. Uh, but then we will have different things like uh, how fire is, you know, fierce and it's quick and so on. And like wind is, you know, it takes its time to, you swift. know, yeah, swift and such. Uh, in any case, yeah, there will be a lot of like character in each kind of element of creatures and monsters. So uh to 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 short to shorten it up uh, basically yeah we want to make pv very intricate uh and a huge part of the game uh, it's really interesting to hear that yeah because it, it is a very very sort of strength of the game i think um and i i think you mentioned there some of the different sort of magic and, and elemental and creatures and that kind of thing reading through all the law there's quite a lot of law that you've created for the game a lot of background for the game and i found there's lots of hints and clues and sort of things in there <laughs> that hint at potential future races yeah. or, or miniatures and mm -hmm. i think maybe we'll come on to some of that when we start talking about northern wind in a minute but there's definitely scope there i think for for, for, for lots of interesting sort of rules mechanics miniatures and sort of um creatures and things like that to to, to join the game um so yeah so great Th thanks for that, for that um i'll say brief overview of elf chronicles but it's quite an in-depth overview of elf chronicles actually so that was great um but what we're here to talk, to talk about today is your new kickstarter campaign northern wind so what's northern wind should I? What? Mm, I guess I can start. So Northern Wind is an extension to Elfo Chronicles, the skirmish war game. However, it takes a new turn because it delves deeper into the dungeon crawl mechanics. So our cooperative and solo options for the base game Elfo Chronicles were so well received that we were basically thinking about making something in this um, direction for the next campaign. campaign. And uh, that's why we started developing the Dungeon Crawler. And what we basically did is take the Elfo Chronicles mechanics and adapted them into Dungeon Crawl mechanics. Uh, so Elfo Chronicles, the skirmish war game, is played on an open field. Um, and the main difference with the Dungeon Crawler is that the Dungeon Crawler is played on tiles. So in a more, more enclosed field, uh, the base mechanics are all very similar. So you get uh, profile cards, you have upgrade cards, um, and all other components, really. Yeah, um, I mean, mechanics in general are almost the same except for the movement. And even mm -hmm. with the movement, uh, while the mechanics of the movement could be considered a bit different, uh, at the same time, feel almost the same as on the open field. Uh, that was one big thing we wanted to achieve. Um, because, like, it's important for us that, like, if you play Dungeon Crawler, you should be also able to play the skirmish game mm -hmm. and vice versa. Uh, that's definitely, you know, uh, especially when it comes to combat, I think that the action-reaction system, uh, it's, like, very intense kind of way of playing and very immersive at the same time. I mean, incidentally, uh, before Infinity, uh, all, and even Infinity, well, the kind of action-reaction mechanics are actually stemming uh, from the Fading Suns RPG, 
and even before that, like some older war games in like 50s and 40s uh, had the action reaction mechanics, uh, which brings a very intense kind of gameplay into the picture. And that's exactly what we wanted to do with the dungeon crawl experience. Right. Uh, we didn't want it to be like, uh, you know, steamrolling through a dungeon uh, with your heroes. We wanted it to be intense. We wanted it to be immersive. Um, and especially because we were basically growing up with MMORPGs uh, and things like that, uh, we were always, you know, we, we from the start, we wanted to make like an experience where you could have an adventure, uh, basically a war game happening, you know, uh, in a concealed environment. Uh, not necessarily a dungeon, but, you know, something with it has narrow pathways uh, and a lot of narrative for yeah. you to play, uh, for you to, you know, to discover and explore and fight on and so on. So, yeah. Okay. We also, uh, you mentioned MMORPGs, but I think more to do with this is D&D, so Dungeons and Dragons. Definitely. We also took insp inspiration from that because we're actually playing uh, a campaign in our setting. <laughs> of course in the L4 Chronicles setting? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, cool. Yeah, we have a very cool dungeon master. And, Not yeah. me, Tiasha and Aliash uh, have like a very dedicated group of, you know, fellow players here from Slovenia. And together they are like another player. None of us is dungeon master. There's another player yeah. here from Slovenia who basically is dungeoneering the whole uh, oh, wow. So we may see an L4 Chronicles D&D RPG in the future as yeah. well. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> we tested wow. it out and it works. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. So um, when I think of a dungeon crawler then, I think of, like you say, a tiles where you're laying the dungeon out, um, players are controlling heroes, there's monsters to fight, dice rolling. Um, but you say um, with Northern Wind that you've tried to... Um, uh, keep it quite close to the sort of main core mechanics for the core game. Mm -hmm. So could you perhaps go through some of the mechanics like combat, exploration is something that normally prop, uh, crops up in, in dungeon crawlers, um, yeah. and maybe the action re reaction mechanic, how that would work in the dungeon crawler as well? Definitely. Uh, let me start with the, with the action reaction mechanics that basically work the same. Um, your heroes will be getting activation points as they do in the skirmish game. Uh, and the monster will be getting them as well. Um, so that's one thing. Um, combat will be still tied to action-reaction mechanics uh, based on activation points. Uh, so in that sense, things will not be much different, meaning that, well, uh, your models will still activate, they will move first, and then they can do some actions. These actions can be still the same as in the skirmish game, attack, dodge, or something else, like we have different stuff, like even for summoning monsters and so on. Uh, and the monster will mostly react in the same way as they do uh, otherwise. So you move, the monster sees you, the monster reacts in a certain way, and then you perform your action. As uh, that will, it, yeah, that will in a sense be combat. Melee combat stays the same, range combat stays almost the same. It's even a bit more simplified, but it feels the same. It's the same, but it's simplified, yeah. generally speaking. Uh, it's a, I guess, yeah, because uh, the tiles give us some boundaries and so on. We could simplify these things, but happy to say that it still has the same kind of depth. It feels familiar enough for players mm -hmm. of the core game. Yeah, They're yeah, still yeah. using D20s. That's something that, that yeah. L4 yeah. Chronicles uses, D20s. And, yeah. and quite often you're rolling off against the opposing player or the AI uh, and comparing scores that you roll on your dice with the stats that are on your profile card. 
Yeah. Um, so and you're still doing that in the dungeon call. So the I mean that's the combat is, is really really intense in the, in the skirmish game. So that sounds like a really really cool mechanic to bring across to a dungeon crawl as well. Quite often with dungeon crawlers, you're just rolling a handful of attack dice and looking for symbols. But here it's a bit more in depth, I guess, a bit more tactical. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for people happy about symbols, we actually managed to uh, incorporate a few. Okay. Um... <laughs> so this is new then. So yeah. Uh, I mean, of course, there will be uh, like dungeon crawl cards, which will make your life simpler if you're playing just the dungeon crawl. But in in a sense, they are interchangeable with everything else. I guess what what we just sent is like the first look at the core box render. This is just the core box. Um, so... And there are things missing. Yeah, there's, there I think, three miniatures missing here. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's gonna be double the amount of cards that you see. Yeah, at that, least that, in the beginning. That's definitely, and of course, the quest book and rule book and stuff like that. Um, well, I've seen something really, really cool on those pictures that you've just sent across. So, um, <laughs> and so it's the scenery elements. Yeah. So in the in the L4 Chronicles core game, it came with some cardboard scenery that you could build your battlefields out of, which is really, really cool actually. And um, I, I've been playing dungeon crawlers like Descent. Um, uh, Legends of Dark, which comes with 3D scenery, and I think it really adds a lot to a dungeon crawler board game, a, a, a lot more than I thought it would. I've really enjoyed the Descent game with building the, tr the trees, the walls, the gates, and things. And I can see in these pictures here that you've also got that as well. So how yeah, we... does how how does the scenery work? How can can you interact with it? Does it you know block line of sight, this kind of thing? Yeah. So what you see on the on the mockup, um, basically these are like the key, like how you would say. Uh, like points of interest on the map, and you definitely can interact with them. For example, lanterns, uh, basically the fire god, or in Japanese, Hinokami, uh, are basically like checkpoints. Uh, so if some... so, the the lamps contain ah. the Hinokami. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the the fire god resides in them. Yeah. Uh, so those will be your checkpoints, uh, and at the same time you can level uh, and do stuff like that next to them. Um, then we have the you know the Tory gates, uh, so basically the gates that like uh, you know mark uh, sacred kind of grounds, or well in this case uh, deconsecrate. Uh, how how would say corrupted grounds? I guess so. So in um, the inspiration in the actual Japanese culture tradition is <laughs> when you enter a sacred ground, you have to pass under the Tory gate. So that that's the red gate that you see on the picture, um, and after that, uh, so. After that is the sacred place. But in this case, you will be entering from a sacred place because where you'll be entering the quest from is going to be like a neutral zone that you can do other things mm -hmm. at. However, when you'll be on the tiles, you will be actually playing the quest and the quests are dangerous. So the quests are where the actual combat is happening. When you are off the tiles, you can, for example, uh, go into certain enclosed instances and fight instance battles, um, so like arena battles, I guess you could mm -hmm. call them, um, or you could resolve so-called events. Uh, so basically, like how the narrative campaign will go in this case, the adventurers start as survivors of something, of uh, you know a, a bad event that happened on the mission and they still need to get to the top of the mountain, uh, you know, to take care of something. Uh, I try to keep it as, with, with, you know, uh, spoiler free as much as possible <laughs> uh, but basically what our adventurers are doing uh, in 13 days they need to get to the top of the mount biodo 
this is the mountain where the calamity is happening and where Onis are settled. So the adventurers can, and the, the whole empire of Soga can see like a beam of light coming from atop the mountain. And the mountain has split at the top. So there's definitely something going on there. And that's why they regrouped underneath the mountain, assembled like a small, uh, I guess, skirmish army, you could call it. Like how many people? Let's call it around 70 people. Yeah, like a smaller army. They've made their encampments. <clears throat> and then suddenly, just the, when they thought they were going to, you know, take the start advance. Start the expedition. Yeah, start the <laughs> expedition, start the war on the Oni. They got ambushed. The whole... I guess, military encampment got ambushed. Oni basically proved smarter than they thought they were. Yeah. Um, and from then on, the four heroes that you can see are uh, your main heroes that escape from the ambush. Well, escape. Let's say they go into the, into the hell pit and up the mountain because they know they have to go up there. Somebody has to go up there because something bad is happening. Basically, they need to reach the top before the blood moon. Yeah. Um, so that, that's the... That's your so, uh, starting quest. Is That's the yeah. main objective <laughs> of them. Right. Uh, You're so going to learn like this through like short stories and lore descriptions before the quests. Yeah. And then you will go on quests and each quest will bring you closer to your goal. However... Um, you don't have one storyline. You have at least two storylines that you can take. Three, actually. Yeah, three. Okay. And you can choose which one you will at take. At least those are main storylines. Uh, so this is like and, almost like a branching campaign that yeah, you can go so, down as you play the game. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, and you won't you won't really know which one is the best one. Or let's say all of them are quite okay. They it's also just have special some, challenges. <laughs> they also have special challenges. Some are more combative, some are less, some are more lore-based. Um, some have more Onis and some have more undead. Yeah, for example. <laughs> oh, okay, interesting. So it depends. And if you would replay the campaign, you would find something new every time. Um, yeah, and the, the event cards I sent you before are the events that happen between each quest. So before you enter another quest, you will be doing the event. Like in similar dungeon crawlers, I guess, you get an event and you get a description of the event. So basically it tells you what is happening right now, what the adventurers are seeing. And then when the, you read the description, you would together with the other players, if you're playing cooperatively, um, so if there's multiple players playing together, uh, you can together decide which, I guess, answer you want to take, how you would want to resolve this event. And then depending on what you choose, different things will happen. And you will only see the resolutions after you decide. So basically, you will look them up in a special booklet called the quest log. Okay. Uh, and yeah, then, you know, you will see if you made the good, the bad, the neutral decision. I guess, so I guess just to give a bit more context, so there will be like a time. So the resource that players will have to manage throughout the whole campaign is time. Mm -hmm. uh, and what they do, basically the players need to get to the top of this mountain in a certain number of days. And what that means? Unless, I mean, otherwise the blood moon happens. Yeah, uh, but let's leave that aside for now. Uh, what basically people are doing in this case, they will be playing series of battles. There will be like approximately 20 battles for you to get to the top of the mountain. And in between the battles, they need to travel the mountain, of course. 
And this is when these events happen. So basically it's events that happen on their journey. And these are not necessarily combat events. It can be like uh, riddles and things like that. And this is what Yasha was referring that you have to look in the quest log. So some cards will have riddles, some uh, which you will have to look up and they will they can have many different effects. Like they can give you items, uh, they can give you valor, which is basically the resource player will be using for leveling and things like that. Um, other than that, um, they can do many different things. They can speed up the time, which is not ideal for you. They can yeah. present you different decisions or they can actually, actually influence the upcoming battles. Yeah, or they can just flung you into a battle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that can also happen. So the I mentioned uh, instance battles before. <clears throat> so basically between quests, you can enter an arena battle, so like an instance battle. For example, Goblin's Ambush or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And you're suddenly taken away to one of the bigger tiles that you can see on the picture yeah. of the prototype. Yeah, um, it's like the big tile. That That's the the arena battle. <laughs> uh, the, the, like the snowy, looks like a snowy battlefield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like yeah, all, all the tiles are actually modular, so you can place them however you like. But yeah, um, we would prefer using like the big tiles for such uh, instantaneous encounters. Uh, and yeah, like these events, some are worse than others. Uh, some can be positive uh, and it really depends. Their effects are like all over the place. So it will give you like a lot of, it will give you a feeling like you're on an actual adventure. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. So just just for the the listeners of our podcast, you are watching the video. Then, so some of the events we got here. There's a fox shrine. So you stumble upon a shrine dedicated to the fox spirit. The shrine appears to have been abandoned for years, but strange things start happening as soon as the adventurers arrive. You notice that the shrine is possessed, and then you get an option here to purify the shrine or ignore the shrine. And that's where you say then you you would as a party decide what you wanted to do, and then you would check this extra booklet, which would then tell the story of the, the repercussions of that decision yeah. that you've made. Yeah, exactly. Basically, Excellent. so th this one is like you can, if you ignore it, nothing happens because there's no booklet sign on the right. But if you purify, Maybe. there's a booklet sign. So yeah. you have to refer to the booklet Check and it will tell you what happens. Oh, wow. And yeah, sometimes there will be like extra um, instructions in the booklet. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to roll a D20 to see if you passed, for example, um, an intelligence check agility check and mm -hmm. so on yeah and we'll be we'll be including 50 of such cars already in the core box i was just going to ask yeah, yeah how many of these kind of stuff oh interesting so and I, I, sorry yeah go ahead sorry <laughs> i was going to say and th these cards this just helps sort of expand the, the background the setting and yeah. adds yeah. a bit of context to what you're actually doing yeah. in the game so if you're playing a campaign yeah that will give you a lot of lore insights theme and everything in between so there will be 50 cards meaning that replay replayability of like a campaign is basically you know uh, and this is infinite <laughs> this is before stretch goal so we yeah. intend to add more if you know the Definitely. stretch goal unlocks and so on and as you can see each one is illustrated so we hope you know they also give you visual yeah you know, I, I mean I'd recommend anyone listening or watching the video head over to your website. Um, you've got some great resources on there, but the, yeah. you've got lots of artwork as well. And I know on on the core game, on the, the the profile cards, the scheme cards, and things, there's lots of really, really interesting artwork. Even the box art is is really really interesting. And yeah, I can see here on on these event cards that that you've shown here. It looks like that's carrying on as well. So that's that's really, really cool to see. Um, you, you mentioned a campaign. So this dungeon crawler is going to allow you to play a campaign. Your party's trying to get to the top of the mountain before the blood moon. Mm -hmm. 
That's the narrative part of it, yes. Yeah. So, obviously, as a dungeon crawler, players generally control a hero, and they're generally fighting bad guys. So, can you talk a bit about the heroes that will be included in the box, and how they tie into the factions that we know from the core game? Okay. And then, who are their main opponents? So, you've mentioned the Oni, maybe you can talk a little bit more about, about the, the bad okay. guys as well. Uh, maybe just to add a little bit of context quickly, so that I don't forget. Uh, so in the Northern Wind, of course, like narrative campaign is completely as you pointed out. You will be playing heroes and so on. But at the same time, we want to introduce like you know quick standalone scenarios where um, so in the narrative quests we will give the instructions on how to you know put together a you know combat map where you are battling and so on. Uh, but we are also doing like a randomized uh, you know exploration kind of scenario. Oh, wow where you as a player, um, you know, are discovering the tiles and so on. Uh, and that will be done through a randomized deck of the tiles. So like a uh, build your own adventure type game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys. yeah. Okay. So if you want to have like a quick, uh, completely, you know, independent, uh, you know, standalone campaign or just a quick just battle, uh, you can definitely do that. Yeah, so okay. yeah, in that case, you can play like a, co a competitive or cooperative scenario, however you like. Uh, but yeah. Okay. So back to the question. Yeah. Um, the heroes. In Northern Wind, you have four heroes. Uh, you can substitute them with other models from, you know, Elfo Chronicles, the base game, or anything else. However, we recommend these four because each one has lore and the background, and you can find this lore on our webpage already. But we'll be adding more in the actual campaign. <clears throat> so, when you start off with the four uh, heroes, you'll notice that each one is from one of their own factions. So in Alpha Chronicles, the, the setting itself, we have the world called Kalad, and it has four dominant factions that are also shown on the map. Um, so in the north, you have the Emperor of Soga. Then you have in the east, um, the coalition, be? no, the, in the east, the oh, coalition okay. of Tinion, in the <laughs> west, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> in the west, uh, the Sand Kingdoms, and then the south is the uh, Helian League. Yeah, so each uh, hero is from one of these factions. You have Anari, she's from Helion. Uh, then you have Nara, she's from Sand Kingdoms. However, she's from the sub faction of Sand Kingdoms, which is the Oasis. We haven't introduced this one yet. In the so value that's of a life, yeah. Small, small spoiler. Spo spoiler. <laughs> then from Tinion, you have Taros and his Batu. This is the, the Stargaze <laughs> hawk, yeah, the bird. <laughs> and then um, from the Emperor of Soga. Uh, we have Sagan. Yeah, we have Sagan. And you play these four heroes. So you don't have to play <clears throat> all four of them at once, but we do recommend it, I guess. You get certain perks if you do. Um, we also recommend you playing with a friend if you can. So, for example, when we were testing out the game, we really like to play uh, two characters per each player. So, for example, me and Giga would be playing against the game, uh, going on the campaign, and I would pick Nara and Anari, and he would choose Sagan and Taros. <clears throat> so, yeah, this is how we would, for example, divide them. Or if, like, multiple players were playing, like when we were playing, for example, with Alyash and Samo, each of us had, like, one character. Uh, and it was perfect, basically, because, you know, our characters are not, I guess, the they, they have a lot of abilities and so on. Um, so here in such case, it really feels nice when you have one character and you can really, you know, delve deep into it 
really, really learn the playstyle and so on of the character. I found with the core game as well, there's there's often quite a lot of synergies between the models in your warband. Is that the same here? So the heroes work well together. There may be a hero that's more suited for a traditional sort of tanking role, yeah. a hero that's more supportive, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's how the characters are. <laughs> so um, as you mentioned, like we can give you like a brief like how they are played in gameplay, maybe like a short intro for each. Yeah. Um, so uh, one important thing for the dungeon crawler is that you as a player will be able to customize heroes inventory and things like that. Um, it will be up to you what kind of weapons you pick. Uh, of course. So the... not just potions and trinkets, also weapons no. as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so of course the characters will have like how you could say a designated weapon, uh, but you can definitely change it for something else if you prefer a different kind of playstyle. Except um, if it's predetermined. So for example, some models at, at level one, their things are a bit predetermined, but the more you level your character, uh, the more open it is. Well, uh, no, I mean, um, for example, Anari, she has the arcane monocle. It's her own invention. <clears throat> she basically invented like this monocle that gives her insight into the future for like three seconds. Um, for the next three you, seconds. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a lot actually. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she, I guess, you wouldn't really want to get rid of that. So you, you can't change some things, but you can change most of their inventories, especially as they level. And yeah, this is another point we want to make. Um, the characters level, and um, you have so-called valor points that you gain throughout the campaign. And you can spend these valor points on leveling the characters, buying new items for them, um, other things that I guess would benefit you, but I'm not going to get too deep into it. <laughs> or yeah. either you, you, you sacrifice valor for obtaining items that you that take well. from, from the small offering shrines along the way. <laughs> yeah, you, you can still... Um, so the resource is called valor. So like, um, I guess a good person would have a lot of it or like a courageous person would have a lot of valor. Uh, in, the sa- in the same sense, in the game, you gain valor by doing good deeds, I guess. And felling uh, unis and undead. And yeah, like or like vanquishing enemies. However, you can also um, sacrifice valor to do some less honorable deeds. For example, stealing. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Take, taking stuff from shrines and things like that. Which you shouldn't wow. do. <laughs> oh, interesting. And I, 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 I wonder, does that can't your, your sort of standing your valor influence some of the the events and narrative elements as well so you know you may you may stumble across something that m- may only be an option to you if you've got a, a sufficient valor or really yeah. cool so you've definitely got choices yeah. as a player going through the campaign then um about how you want to play the game so that's that's really really cool mm-hmm. yeah definitely i mean that, that was one big thing like to test players yeah. kind of like decisions so i already yeah. know what what dave and matt from the Swiss and andy what they're going to do we're, we're going to have no valor in our run for i'm sure <laughs> Every, everyone next level but zero yeah. valor <laughs> well they're, they're they're warhammer chaos players matt and matt, matt and andy are so yeah. they're sort of they lean that way anyway so then it makes perfect sense yeah. yeah uh but like a little bit about the characters so uh let's start with anari um the hellion character uh so she's a hellion meaning that she of course has like a natural affinity for fire and as well as ice due to her, like, um, you know, she's being a half Tenrin and half Hilrin. 
Uh, so she's a bit different when it comes to her. I, I will not go into her backstory because like it's a bit too much. Maybe <laughs> um, the half of it was already online. So I was going to say it's all on the website. That's yeah, quite yeah, yeah. substantial. Yeah. Um, but in any case, she will be like quite toolboxy battle mage, if I can put it like that. Uh, she'll be able to at the same time protect your characters a bit through enchantments and things like that. Or, you know, buff them. Uh, but at the same time, she can do, like, sufficient damage from afar. Uh, but she is a glass cannon in that sense. So it's best to keep her protected. Um, then and interestingly, have... she's she's got access to ice magic, which is a new sort of school of magic that's been yep. introduced. Yep. Ryomancy. Yep. Uh, a new thing coming uh, in this campaign. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and then we have Nara. Uh, Nara is the... Well, she's a chimera. Uh, so she is from the tribe of Mao, which is basically cat people in a sense, uh, meaning that she has certain abilities that are, you know, specific to chimeras. Chimeras have like huge scope of abilities, like Kitsune have like a lot of fire magic and stuff like that. Mao, for example, have two more two important things. Uh, one is that they can alter the, their physique to an extent. Uh, that's why, like on the art, she has like uh, you know cat paws. Uh, but the like, tail, yeah. yeah, meaning th that's because she can like shift halfway into a cat form and so on. So it's not necessary that she's always like this uh, for people who want to roleplay stuff. Um, but at the same time, it means that she can be very powerful in melee. But also uh, because of her special abilities, she has certain levels of necromancy. Uh, but it's not an evil kind of necromancy. What she can do is take over the undead and have them fight for you, or even release them. Uh, so she is, in a sense, like an anti-undead model, uh, but also like a brawler kind of a model. So not the toughest uh, when it comes to survivability, but she's a very nice like cleanup piece, uh, you know, to take to take out things that are already tied up, exhausted, and so on. Uh, so she'll be moving a lot back and forth because she's super fast, and yeah, like she's she's a blast to play. Um, then we have, and, and definitely she is something that typical Sand Kingdom doesn't doesn't have. Uh, mm -hmm. So that will be something. Um, yeah. So so Sand Kingdoms is is one of the the, the core factions, mm -hmm. mostly spellcasters. Yeah. yeah. Not not the toughest or strongest melee combatants generally. They sort of yeah. rely on their their casting abilities yeah. and and their summons. They can summon elementals to, to sort of do the combat for them and protect yep. them so yeah so 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 uh this character then obviously was useful for players of elder chronicles as well so yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, we want to do a lot of like uh you know basically cross uh appearance of things uh so for example nara at the later stage she will be able to summon like earth elemental and things like that maybe just a quick spoiler um Okay, yeah, but if I'm moving on, uh, then we, of course, have Sagan. Uh, Sagan will be kind of our viewpoint character for the campaign, since, like, the thing is, thing is happening in the Empire. Uh, we His saw, home country. Yeah, we saw it fitting that. Yeah, so yeah. These are, the Empire Sogro are probably the most recognized as the Japanese sort of inspired faction with with, yeah. with the samurai and, and that yeah. kind of quite, quite um, a military-focused faction. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and yeah, Sagan is a big representative of that. What he is, he is a so-called Keshobarai, which in translation would be something akin to an exorcist or monster hunter. Uh, and basically what he is doing, he will be the tank of the party. 
that's one. And at the same time, a protector. So it will give Soga a fine, very, very sturdy tank uh, with like things like uh, those ceiling javelins in his back, uh, things he uses like for purifying undead things and so on. Uh, but at the same time, he is wielding a Nagamaki, so basically a long hilted sword, in a sense, uh, meaning that it brings him something in between halfway, you know, like Onitawashi and having certain like, you know, well, not really magical, but like he has more abilities like to deal with magical things. Uh, and as well as the, the the cursed bear pelt that he is wearing, his heirloom, uh, like that protects him a bit from magic and stuff like that. So he'll be a very interesting play uh, playing piece, both in dungeon crawler because he'll be basically protecting and tanking everything, uh, and as well as in skirmish. Because yeah, yeah, he, he doesn't sound like much fun for a, for a Sand Kingdoms player to be. Yeah, he, sh- he shouldn't. Um, <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, uh, he'll be a lot of fun for play. Uh, and then, of course, we have Taros and his trusty bird Batu. Um, what he brings to the play is toolbox. Uh, he he is the, as you can see, he has a lot of bags hanging from him, so he is essentially a toolbox for the party. <laughs> he's a walking toolbox. <laughs> <laughs> he's a walking toolbox. Uh, but what he actually is, he's an alchemist and a rogue. Uh, what that means, uh, alchemist gives him ability to replenish consumables. And Rogue, well, uh, Rogue will tie very nicely in his ability of knocking down things for other other people to take off. Uh, and yeah, he'll be having you, you as a player playing him will have a lot of freedom choosing his consumables. So you can really decide he could be like a medic kind of character uh, that can heal up your, you know, incapacitated models. Or you can use him like an area denial piece, you know, and throwing caltrops all over the place, throwing bombs around. Uh, smoking the place, <laughs> so sleep yeah, gas. sleep gas and stuff like that. Uh, so 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 even within the 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 four characters, there's various different play styles you can sort of build. Yeah, uh, each like, one has a different one. I would say. I yeah. think each character has around, I would say, three different play styles uh, you can take the character in, um, and yeah, definitely will give you a lot of options. Uh, and all are quite good. Like we will, we are still deliberating how exactly to do it best in skirmish. All these characters will appear in the skirmish game as well. Uh, we just are deciding like what would be the best, the most appropriate way to introduce them in the most balanced way possible, but at the same time that they feel as characters, meaning that they will definitely have leader options. Meaning they so will, stratagems. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, we are determining how how much we want to enclose, you know, the options you have playing them in skirmish. Uh, but of course, there will be a blast to play in the dungeon crawler. Oh, no, that sounds really, really cool. Really, <laughs> really cool. So there, there, your heroes. Yeah. And then the, you mentioned the Oni, and I've seen some great artwork for the Oni mm-hmm. and some of the the um, sort of um, previews of the sculpts as well. Um, undead. I wasn't aware there was an undead. <laughs> uh, enemy as well to fight so maybe you can Coming spend a bit of time week. talking about the two the two baddies that we're fighting yeah um so the main villains we could call them villains are the oni what are exactly oni oni are demons from the older age um so if i can give a bit of the lore background so before the age of mortals and the age of elders there was the age of gods and what the gods did, they basically, each god created their own kind of war breed, uh, the demons, 
which basically, you know, did the, everything that was necessary to do uh, in the name of that god. Uh, at some point, the gods were a bit overzealous with killing one another, which could lead to like a huge catastrophe. And that's why the elders had to be created to contain them. Uh, but while elders took care of the gods in one way or another, uh, the demons still remain in this world. Uh, we already have demons like succubi, uh, but succubi are a kind of a kind of peaceful demons. They are not like the Oni. Oni, on contrary, are like the brutish, like the violent kind of a demon, uh, you know, that did like uh, the bad kind of stuff uh, during their golden age. But when the elders came, uh, they sealed away their god, and they, which also threw like a curse on them. And the curse was that basically they were kind of set in stone, uh, they were petrified. But with the time, um, this curse started to wane off. Uh, and what happened, like every single winter, they started to wake up from their, like how you would call it, the petrified slumber they, they are experiencing. And of course, like uh, the entire curse made them deteriorate when it came to like how sentient they are. So like the weakest Oni are basically brutish beasts. You could say like three meters tall, you know, ogres with horns and everything, uh, basically thirsty for blood. But what happened? Like, I believe that Oni started waking up like um, approximately 120 years from the present time. And like th that caused a lot of mysteries in the empire. Like why are some villages suddenly dying out in the winter? Uh, nobody, you know, knew how to explain the disappearances and so on. But what started happening was that certain Oni, uh, when they first discovered Oni, of course they knew like they're, you know, vicious beasts. But what started happening through the time was that certain Onis were appearing to look more and more humanoid. And, you know, through the ages, this basically came to a conclusion that, you know, Onis start to resemble the food they eat. <laughs> That would explain where the villages have gone. Yeah. <laughs> and like that basically means, uh, so you have the normal Onis, the brutes, and then you have the so-called Rasetsu, which are basically Rakshasas from uh, the Buddhist So the normal Onis, we call them Oni Marauders. Yeah. And the red and blue Oni are the, I guess they're like mini bosses or bosses. Then, um, yeah. They're, they're called Rakshasas because they are more like humans. That's in the gameplay narrative, but basically what is lore-wise, their implication is that they're the evolved kind of Oni. So when they evolve, they basically are assigned with a certain color, which is a bit tied to their temperament and abilities. Uh, and yeah, they are definitely a step up from a normal Oni. So despite being like smaller in stature, they are much more powerful and much more vicious. And much more sentient and, much and more intelligent. Sentient. So the red Onis, they are more brutish. They're more violent. They like to take things headfirst, you know. More um, beastly in behavior. Yeah, they don't think things through too much, but they make up for it with their power. And then you have the blue Oni. So the blue Oni are the strategists. They're the intellectuals. The more cunning ones. Yeah, uh, both can talk, by the way, uh, the red and the blue Oni. Um and yeah, the the problem with the Emperor of Soga was that until they didn't really um, they didn't really know that these existed, right? So they saw the Oni Marauders because they were more brutish. They just came down from the mountains, killed everyone they could, and just went back. The Red Oni 
which are more brutish, you know. They're more sadistic in nature. Yeah, they're more sadistic, they're but more like vanguards of the Oni. That usually meant that they didn't, didn't really leave any witnesses behind. <laughs> and then the blue Oni, well, they probably weren't even seen because they were just too intelligent. And when the attack, um, so the offense to the Oni was planned, they didn't really know that the blue Oni existed yet. As well as red, in yeah, a sense. In a sense, also, the red one was a bit vague. Basically, the, the blue one is what the strategist and tactician should be afraid of, while the red one is what the you know people on the front lines should be afraid yeah. of. Yeah. Warriors, um, mostly. Yeah. Um, but in a sense, uh, it, that all leads basically to their form, which is the Chiyohime, which is in the previous newsletter. Uh, she is like the, you know, um, the mastermind behind the Oni activities and she could be considered, I will just, uh, you know, post this plug from the last uh, newsletter. Um, uh, but basically she is like the pinnacle of the current Oni evolution. Uh, and she could be considered currently one of the oldest Oni probably alive and the leader of basically the Oni tribe residing on this Mount Biodo. Of course, there are multiple mountains in the empire with Onis. This is just the one. <laughs> I mean, this is just one of them. And what is special about her, as you can see with things behind her, she can wield magic as well as the undead. She will be like the necromancer kind of enemy that you'll be facing uh, in the That's journey. That's why you have so many undead enemies. Yeah. <laughs> like a, a, bit of, a bit of trivia about, about Kalad. Like, so... There is a circulation of mana in the world. That includes the profane mana, which like made a taint with the elders in the world. Uh, but what it what it actually happens, like when you have like a battlefield or a certain site of violence where a lot of people died, like profane mana can start to settle and accumulate in that area. And if that place is not purified after the battle, the undead will start rising, start rising there. And like the this mountain is a perfect example of that because like there was a lot of like as I mentioned uh, villages and temples, uh, you know, basically being abandoned overnight, not really abandoned, more like eaten. Um, so a lot of you know undead remains uh, started to wake up in those sites. Uh, yeah. So um, just to rephrase, these aren't really uh, zombies, I guess. They're they're more like spirits. So in both, uh, both, both. Yeah, both in traditional Japanese uh, actual culture, uh, which we, you know, take inspiration from. Um, Japan has thousands of different um, spirits or like apparitions, uh, demons. Basically what, what they call you? yokai. Yeah, they call so, it yokai. Uh, an we don't umbrella really... term for paranormal stuff. <laughs> yeah, they're not always like spirits. Sometimes, for example, you have a spirit that is in the shape of a lamp. And when you approach it, it has a mouth. There's like spirits like that. Um, so yeah, we we uh, because we can't really include them in the combat. It's, sometimes it just wouldn't make any sense. We included them included them on the event cards. Yeah, so that's really, why. Yeah. yeah, like a mimic cool. equivalent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's really card. really cool because it just sort of fleshes out the sort of setting that you're playing the game in and adds a bit of context to it. Also, that's really yeah. really. And obviously, there'll be people out there who are really interested in sort of that Japanese sort of fantasy sort of history and, and that kind of thing as well. So that's, that's really, really cool. So there's, well, there's mean, quite, oh, 
Sorry, uh, here I want to emphasize that I guess this game isn't just for people that know a lot about Japan. It's definitely for anyone because you also have like vanilla things. They're not all Japan inspired, right? Yeah, I mean, like uh, there is a huge emphasis, like it, it brings the theme of the whole thing mm-hmm. that that is the Japanese setting. Uh, but apart from it, we will be including a lot of like other stuff that may excite people. Uh, I'm not sure, like probably we can save it for later. Uh, like, you know, small beasts people are, people are used to, and as well as some, like, more, you know, eldritch abominations towards the end of the game. Uh, so there will be a lot, like, to chew on. So there's a lot of variety in the sort of uh, enemies that you'll be fighting from, from yeah, the, the, diff- the, the, the different kinds of Oni, um, undead, uh, necromancy, and then you mentioned they're, uh, like, eldritch monsters, and I think you mentioned goblins as well at some yeah. point earlier on so yeah. <laughs> cool oh no that's really cool i mean that, that also i think as well in a dungeon crawler it, it can keep the game quite interesting i think if you're fighting the same enemies each quest each turn it can get a bit repetitive so it's nice to know that there's lots of variety there in the sort of enemies and challenges that you're going to have because it sounds like as well some of the creatures you're fighting have different sort of tactics and strategies you you have to use to, to counter them the more brutish sort of oni you'll be engaging in melee or trying to keep them at a distance whereas the more cunning and the blue oni sound like you may need to use some other tactics to try and combat yeah. or even find the guy by the sound of it <laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Oh. i mean you have like a s- different kinds of levels to the enemies i guess you could say so you have enemies that are like um cannon fodder so they're like common mobs basically tears how you already know them like urban creatures already have tears and so so have the oni and the other uh enemies you'll be encountering uh and here is to know that like um you can include like the urban creatures in this campaign as well if you'd like Mm -hmm. um the game the setting and like the mechanics are very open like to what kind of enemies you can face now see i'm more interested in including the oni in the core game yeah that, that, that definitely that that is also a big thing so they'll actually be a playable faction mm-hmm. in the scrimmage oh, wow. okay yeah. Yeah, since, since they are well super powerful the mechanics uh they, they they will i guess be a bit different than like a traditional party uh meaning that they will have certain different kind of mechanics how you bring them to play uh but yeah they will be played like as a playable faction mm-hmm. that just highlights the sort of compatibility between the two different games that you're sort yeah. of building us up that's really really cool yeah um, like, so... we, we want to build a setting like we want to build alpha chronicles as a world uh you know not just as like a separate game here and there uh, we actually want to make like a setting that well you can immerse into like in multiple different ways uh that that's a huge uh that's of huge importance to us so yeah Um, So to summarize, yeah, each miniature that you see will have different profile cards. One will be for the dungeon crawler and one will be for the skirmish. Or rather, multiple will be for the dungeon crawler and multiple for the skirmish. Because every miniature might have different levels or different um, variations on their profiles and so on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, that's how they're compatible, I guess. Uh, We're also... uh, Every other card that you know from the Alpha Chronicles, the base game, is gonna be remade uh, to adapt to the to the um, dungeon crawler and mm-hmm. vice versa. Technically, you don't need to. Like uh, we already also included like how to convert like uh, movement distance for dungeon crawler if you don't like that. But we, you know, just because I think it's the right way to do it, we will be like 
having you know profile cards for dungeon crawl for every single model existing you know freely available online and, and, and we'll of course uh, included in the campaign <laughs> cool and will, will there also be rules for using characters from the core game in the dungeon crawler as well yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So Definitely. there's lots of options there, lots of this variety. Of nice, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So, in, cool. in like the second, like the campaign, you could break it down to like three arcs. In the second arc, you'll you, you'll start encountering like also you, you as a side quest and so on. So it's an optional thing. If you don't have the core game, like you're not missing anything. But at the same time, like if you already have other stuff, it will unlock a lot of side quests for you to explore and yeah like uh, you know different characters can come helping you uh, in later quests and so on so yeah there's definitely one thing to explore it's really 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 cool so we've talked a bit there about the heroes and and the enemies and and the game the mechanics how the dungeon crawler plays we've talked a lot about the background and the setting it sounds really really exciting um the the next sort of thing that i look for in a dungeon crawler in a dungeon crawler box game is the components so you, you've talked about the tiles and the cards we get, but the, the, the main thing people will be interested in will be the miniatures themselves. <laughs> yeah. um, so what can you tell us about the miniatures um, and, and the sculpts? So I guess an important thing that I'm also very proud of to say, the miniatures will not be PVC like in most board games. The miniatures will be our premium unicool resin miniatures, meaning that it will be you know minis of the highest quality um made of resin durable resin new generation resin however you like to call it uh retaining like the highest detail we can make um, so what i want to point out here uh unicorn resin is a new kind of resin that was invented for miniatures mm -hmm. originally for our miniatures now, now it's getting used in other games as well probably including infinity for yeah one. i think they're actually going to go with them um and yeah, it's received as a new kind of resin that is more durable. So if you know how a standard resin looks like, it's usually very brittle. If you if it falls over on the table, it usually breaks Especially or something. Especially when we talk about 3D printing resin. Yeah, um, but also the manufactured one isn't much different. That wasn't suitable for us. So the manufacturers went like an extra mile, basically, to make a new formula. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Also, the another good part about it is we have very dynamic miniatures with a lot of details or like parts that are sticking out from the miniature. These usually wouldn't be able, uh, we wouldn't be able to make these in other materials because or we would have a hard time. We would have one. a hard time or we would have to redo the poses, the dynamics and so on. Um, because the other molds, for example, metal molds don't really uh, allow they such... They don't allow undercuts and things like that. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't allow such dynamic poses. Uh, meanwhile, we use silicone molds, which allow us to do a lot more dynamic poses. And actually, a completely traditional method of doing resin is not like some special kind of machine doing something. It's basically, you know, a uh, two-piece silicone mold and a guy using a ladle to pour, pour in <laughs> the liquid resin. It's, they're, they're basically handmade, yeah. yeah. Everything is handmade. Yeah. In a sense. It, it, it's yeah. just this new material that you're using that's allowing you to create these detailed um, the miniatures in, in this new resin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, will they be um, comparable then to the miniatures that people were already have received or, or can purchase online on your store now for L4 Chronicles, yeah, so it's the same material. They will be of same the same quality, material. if not better. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, like yeah. The material is constantly improving. We already received the wayfarers, as I mentioned. And in my opinion, these are like a small step up from the first edition, uh, meaning that like, uh, yeah, from here on, we just want to improve the whole thing even further as much as we can. <laughs> um, but yeah, when it comes to the Northern Wind and the miniatures, yeah, they will be made of the Unicorn Resin. Uh, that's one. Um, the exact number will, how many of the minis you get really depends on the pledge tier. Uh, the core box will include, uh, I do not have exact numbers in front of me right now, but I think it will be like 14 miniatures, 15, I think. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but that includes like the big, uh, more brutish Oni. Uh, I was going to say what kind of size, because in the core game, you had the the the, the normal sort of uh, mm -hmm. scale miniatures right the way up to your Colossus, which was your tier three Earth and Elemental. Is there going to be different size miniatures in in this game as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like the the brutish. I mean, most of minis are the you know the standard size, the medium sized, uh, the heroes and all that. Um, then you have a few small things. So uh, the medium size miniatures are usually in the 32 scale. The 32 millimeter. Mm. They have 32 millimeter base, but like the actual scale, I have no idea what nowadays is what scale. No, it, I, uh, I get confused by that all as well. Yeah. But I, <laughs> so I these, say... so these miniatures from L4, I would say um, they're they're slightly bigger than than a Games Workshop Warhammer miniature. Um, Most, I, I think they're about as tall as a primary space mm -hmm. marine. Yeah, or but a they're, they're a bit more realistically scaled, I find. Yeah. So they look a bit a bit more realistic in their proportions mm -hmm. and things than a Warhammer miniature would. Uh, yeah. And they're also very detailed. So they are, you know, if you are just a collector and a painter, mm -hmm. uh, these are really, really nice models just to paint up, not not just to play with, I found. So oh, yeah. give them a try. <laughs> uh, another thing I would want to point out here is that um, they come in less pieces so you don't have to assemble it for too long uh so for example our miniatures are so detailed and dynamic that in other materials we would have to divide them into like multi more pieces yeah more pieces but then with this new material we only have to divide them into a few pieces so for example two to five pieces is the norm mm. i mean it really depends like yeah i mean sure like you have push feed uh hard plastic and stuff like that that typically doesn't take that many pieces, but at the same time, like the poses aren't really that dynamic and so on. Um, I, I would argue like not necessarily, but um, yeah, I mean, that's just one point. So they are not difficult to put together. I think that's not the main problem. point Yasha wanted to make here. Um, but yeah, otherwise the core box, I think will be coming with around 14, 15 miniatures. I'm not sure you will have like the big one included. They are approximately earth elemental sized, um, something like that, a bit bigger than Golem and like a bit taller than earth elemental. So like, yeah, something something big for you. Okay, I would say for our Warhammer fans listening, like a killer can size, then that would be a, a Gretchen killer can. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, something like that. Oh, so that's that's cool. So they look they look really nice yeah. on this sort of tabletop then. Um, but, but other than that, like there will be a few things we'll be adding. Uh, it will be of course tied to the pledge tiers and of course add-ons and stuff like that, like the Kickstarter vocabulary. Uh, but otherwise, uh, one thing will be like a small expansion with multiple enemies. I think seven or eight. Um, and the other thing is maybe a bit secret one, bigger miniature. Uh, much bigger, much bigger, like uh, colossal size, if not a bit bigger. 
Uh, and yeah, that will be like, uh, we'll talk about that a bit later, I guess. <laughs> Interesting. Well, now we're on to the Kickstarter campaign, so it's a good segue into, into that. So yeah. this you mentioned, was it the 23rd of June, 20th of June? 20th of June, yeah. 20th, 20th of June is when the Kickstarter campaign will launch. Uh, and you mentioned there, there, there may be some different pledge offerings. So the, the core game uh, with 14 or 15 miniatures, and then um, you mentioned a, a, a monster expansion or an enemy expansion as well. Mm-hmm. So are, is there anything else you can tell us about the Kickstarter campaign? Any sort of stretch goals you can tell us about now? I know you may have some stretch goals you're holding back in secret. Uh, so obviously that, that's fine. But is there anything you can share with us now? So generally, I, I guess briefly. <laughs> I guess we can like general get a general overview. Um, with stretch goals, we'll be adding... Uh, extra components of the ones that you already see. So more upgrade cards, which are the item cards, um, more event cards, more scheme cards, which are like the extra side quest cards, I guess. Um, You also get extra tiles, extra boss tiles. Those are the biggest ones, the ones that you can play like in um, secluded quests. Um, You will also, of course, get extra miniatures. Uh, alternative extra, extra parts. scenics, as you already pointed out. Yeah, like that, you know. extra scenics, yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, like alternative parts of certain mini- minis. Um, as well as maybe some other goods that I won't, don't want to really talk about too early so that it, understandable. it, it doesn't hit <laughs> me back. Trying to get the scoop here, but that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like maybe just to give like a brief context about what you get in the core box. So we already mentioned the miniatures. Otherwise, you get more than 20 double-sided tiles. Uh, so that means that like plenty of like, you know, straight normal tiles, then you have corners and, you know, crossroads, things like that. But also like two double-sided, like bigger, like this big, I guess, mm-hmm. um, like um, kind of arena tiles that would yeah, be used like, tiles. yeah, for encounters, boss battles, stuff like that. Um, so that's for the tiles, like for the core game. Of course, like they will, you you will be able to purchase extra and so on if you really want to stretch out the table. Um, but they have like, I think every single side of these tiles is unique. So <laughs> there will be plenty of like variety with them, just as they are. And then you also have like things like environment tokens through which you can assign like certain environments to these tiles. Then you have like, of course, the standard tokens, the scenics. Um, yeah, uh, that covers the environment and terrain a bit, I guess. Um, then you have like the profile cards, of course, like the dungeon crawl cards, um, the, uh, the event cards and the instant cards. I guess the instant cards are something that we didn't talk about. Uh, <laughs> instant cards will be something like, uh, at the beginning of each enemy turn, an instance resolves. And instance, what it does, it basically triggers, triggers something unpredictable with the enemies or the environment, or maybe even with your heroes. Uh, so it will be just one extra thing for you to consider when you play the game. Uh, okay, then moving along, then of course you will get like a quest map, like uh, so that you will have like an actual map of how you are going on the mountain with all the key points, all the battles marked out. Uh, so you can choose like the best, uh, you know, path to the top of the mountain. Um, then you will be having like, of course, the rulebook for the dungeon crawl rules, uh, which just for people who are, you know, a bit scared of the rules, uh, if already know the, the skirmish rules, almost 
all that you need to read extra is, I guess, how to start the game and how to move. And I think that basically covers it. Uh, and maybe, I guess, reach just to refresh it, how it works in a different kind of context. Um, and then, yeah, uh, then we have tokens, profile cards, AI cards, of course. Mm -hmm. We have multiple AI cards. Uh, the rulebook I already mentioned. And then we have the quest log. Uh, the quest log is basically uh, almost like, uh, well, lore narrative mixed with quests, mixed with, uh, you know, things like technical stuff, like uh, how to resolve certain those events and stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, basically what players will be holding when playing the campaign and going through it. And right? setting up quests. Yeah. And of course the dice. Let's not forget the dice. dice. Of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> important part. Uh, let me just quickly pop up the render if I forgot anything. Probably I forgot something, uh, but I can't remember right now. Well, there's a lot there to remember, to be fair. Yeah, it um, will be quite a hefty core box, I think. Uh, we will probably have to increase the depth of the box a bit when compared to the current one, but we are doing our best to keep the prices as fair and as low as possible. So that's another commitment we want to make uh, with this game. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I was I was just going to going to say that that you're uh, this is your second kickstarter campaign so you, you've got one yeah. successful kickstarter under your belt already what what lessons did you learn from that kickstarter that you're taking through into the the next kickstarter a lot, uh, what, a lot yeah, yeah. <laughs> simply put when going into the previous campaign you could say that we maybe were a bit like we definitely we were green we were rookies we were a bit naive and we took a bad timing and also we were rushing it we were rushing yeah. it a bit too much like you could say that pressure from relatives and so on um but in any case uh we maybe were a bit too hasty with the campaign uh we should have taken more time like you know putting the game into the world uh presenting you know getting the outreach uh other than that um the timing was super important like we went to kickstarter probably in the worst time possible because at the same time, there was like the Witcher campaign going live. Uh, there was like... Ironically, I'm wearing... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's the PC game, so yeah. it's not. <laughs> uh, other than that, we had what? There was like multiple skirmish games like going live at that point of time. Of course, by more, uh, I think that one was Old Sworn, which was a big thing. And of course, these were the got, games... Got that on the shelf somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and of course, this was like the games, you know, with the already tested creators. Uh, meaning that we should and we are be super thankful to the backers who decided mm. to support us, basically, a green creator. And put the trust in us that we will be actually able to deliver it. Because like, at the same time... Yeah, sure, it was like a campaign, but it was also like a huge ambitious project. Like we were really making something new. And yeah, I'm super thankful to everyone. Especially with the material of the miniatures, yeah. Yeah, and I am super thankful to everyone who supported us, believed in us and, you know, made possible for us to make the game, you know. And our company. Yeah, and our company. Basically, I would argue being better than what we uh, first advertised on Kickstarter. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so that's one thing. And of course, now that now we know, like when we went the, we went on Kickstarter the last time, there was like so many hiccups behind the scenes. It, it's incredible that even <laughs> we were even able to like pull it off to the end. Uh, so, so one big thing was the whole start of the campaign. Like the Kickstarter was just changing something behind uh, their algorithm 
and you have to write in the like the shipping cost. Not algorithm, but their UI. Oh, their UI, yeah. And they were like, like you couldn't leave it blank. Uh, you know, the like how much approximately you think the game, uh, you know, you will need to ship the game. So yeah, of course we were like, yeah, okay, this is approximate number, boom. And like campaign started, and people were like, wait, is this campaign like calculating shipping for me? And we were like, it shouldn't. And they were like, but it is. And yeah. we were like, okay, so what to do, what to do, what the hell? And we were writing to Kickstarter, like, can you help us? And what we got in return, we can help you in 90 19, hours. 99, <laughs> hours. 99 hours. And we were like, okay, we're dead. And yeah, we had to like improvise a bit, close the pledges, ask the people if they could shift the pledges to something else, close those. And that basically definitely staggered the momentum a lot. Yeah. Uh, we definitely don't want this to happen again, so we are taking extra caution with that. Uh, but, but I think also like the general outlook of the campaign yeah. this time around, it will be better. Yeah. But things I hope will be a bit more uh, easy to understand. Uh, and at that time, we had zero ex real experience with like the first, the manufacturing. Uh, one is manufacturing, then the logistics and so on. So we went through basically everything, I think, like um, it's a bit of behind the scenes and oversharing, I guess, but like we changed a few, um, like, uh, you know, parties who offered those services like logistics or manufacturing and so on. And maybe just like, you know, basically after the, it was after the campaign when we actually, you know, got in contact and really like started to take off things with the Unicool uh, manufacturing. Uh, so they came after the campaign, like the manufacturer, basically, who was working with us before the campaign. Well, they really disappointed us uh, afterwards. Like it was really hard to work with them and they weren't really manufacturers. They were that, that's something you figure out later. It was basically just a liaison, you know, working with the factory. But now we are actually working directly with the factory. That's one. We are working with a factory that's very experienced in what they are doing. They have more than 20 years of experience with these things. Uh, and even before that, they've been working with, uh, you know, established like Japanese brands making like anime figures, the collectible stuff and so on. Okay. So they are amazing. When Hello Kitty. <laughs> okay, Hello Kitty is one, but then of course, like things like Bandai Namco and things like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the worst possible example. <laughs> Um, it's the one I remember. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, they did a lot of things and yeah, they really wanted to try out how to do the miniatures and stuff like that. They, they actually work with some of the most known board games before. I'm not sure how much I can tell about that I, direction, I so I won't. Should, yeah. But like they have like a ton of experience. They are probably one of the best, if not the best. And in the um, end, they even helped us a lot with logistics. Yeah. Um, so I guess G Giga was a bit hasty to say all of these things. Um, we did plan everything out before the campaign. That we did, yeah. And everything was figured out. But no plan but then, survives the contact with the enemy. Exactly. <laughs> and then when we actually started to go into the manufacturing phase, we noticed that the manufacturer yeah. or the liaison was completely incompetent, if I can put it in a nice way. We started spinning in circles. <laughs> yeah, um, we just couldn't get anywhere for months. And then we just had to pull the plug. We got actually Unicol contacted us. Mm -hmm. We were like a bit, you know, hesitant at first, but then we actually uh, dug. We decided, like, let's give them a try and see where this goes. And they've proven like, well, competent beyond belief. I mean, um, they've given us nothing but green lights. So yeah, yeah. 
It's in the entire process of working with them is amazing. Maybe it helps a bit because both me and Yasha, basically we studied East Asian studies. So maybe we have a bit like an easier entry when working with Asian cultures and so on. But at the same time, the guys are amazing. Like um, they're the super friends. kind. Their customer support is amazing. And yeah, it's almost like working with a friend. Yeah. They are friends, in my opinion, at this point, after two years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that sounds like you've got some good foundations there for going into the second campaign then. So. Yeah, I mean, that, that also, means that uh... manufacturing is covered as well as logistics. Um, logistics is, I think that most creators underestimate how these things can like make the campaign successful or kill it behind the scenes. Like many campaigns can look extremely successful, but when it comes to logistics, it can kill the campaign entirely. Um, and that's like a huge part where a couple of really successful distributors helped out, uh, lo both locally as well as abroad. Um, and we found some really competent, competent, uh, competent companies we can work with. Uh, there were a few hiccups in the Europe, which forced us to basically establish our, our own uh, fulfillment for now we are already using it for the web store and it's working super smoothly, meaning that next time we can probably fulfill the entire Europe well from Slovenia, mm -hmm. uh, as well as we established very like good, um, you know, freight and the global logistics lines, um, how to get stuff from China to Slovenia or other continents. So that's another huge thing. Basically, one thing that I lost my hair over, uh, <laughs> but in the end it worked out and we have that now, well, under our belt, if I can say that way. Yeah. Um, These are all the things that, like you say, you don't, as a, as a backer, you don't necessarily appreciate yeah. all the hard work that goes in behind these campaigns but yeah but, i mean it, it's it's better that backers don't know how this thing <laughs> they would be they would be as stressed as we are with these things um but yeah it's a super important back uh behind the scenes thing definitely something that will speed up uh the entire process as we do feel confident that we can actually pull that uh like i could say like that without stretch goals i think we could have the game like manufactured uh and ready for delivery probably a couple of months after the campaign. Yeah. Uh, but we want, you know, to include extra content and polish it, you know, to our best as possible. So, I mean, yeah. basically, uh, so in comparison with the first campaign, at the first campaign, at the end of it, we had most of the things kind of ready visually, mm -hmm. but they had to be adapted to be manufactured. Yeah. So, um, I guess this is like really in-depth into the manufacturing process. But for example, all the graphics that you see, for example, how the core box looks, uh, that has to be like made into certain, uh, what would you call format. it? Format. Yeah, into a certain format. And then you have to send it to the manufacturer and then he has to approve it and so on. And that, it sounds easy, but it can take several months yeah, to like, get right. Not everything is possible. And basically what we mm -hmm. as a publisher and well, game designers, what we need to do is work with the manufacturing to basically make it possible uh, to find the, like, to troubleshoot everything, like to put out the best product as we can. Yeah, to, to ensure the best quality mm -hmm. and I guess the lowest price so that we don't have to unexpectedly, you know, hike up the prices or overburden backers and so yeah. on. Like, of course, there are some things like um, we got like a few funny comments, like uh, people mi misunderstanding, like the core box 
you know, b before opening it, commenting is uh, commenting on it like, oh, but it's smaller than expected and so on, despite like really knowing what's inside. But um, there are multiple things to consider here. The main one being global logistics and how to get things safely to the backend. Mm -hmm. So um, just when we started the yeah. Kickstarter and when we started delivering and so on, planning for the delivery, the global, I guess, crisis was happening. <clears throat> it still is, in a way. Uh, and shipping, logistics shipping was, was ten times the normal price. Yeah, it was. Yeah, we saw that across expensive. a lot of Kickstarter campaigns. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that also killed a lot of. Yeah, exactly. So we had to plan the cheapest way to get things across and Seems, we didn't want yeah. to so we didn't want to jeopardize the product itself or the safety of the yeah. contents uh, so what we did we, we adapted and we overcame things yeah we um, made the core box smaller so yeah it looks small it's but it's compact <laughs> again that, that would be one grievance and it's not really a grievance yeah we're no. actually planning to make the boxes bigger this time you know a bit more flair to them so that people can basically after they put stuff out they can also yeah put them, them back, back yes yeah. the storage is important that yeah. was that was one of the things that we kind of regret yeah you could do it already uh we are actually in contact with felt hair working on um, a bit of like storage solutions and so on including for the core box itself uh the okay. one thing the one problem we are having is the colossus because like the base is so big, she's like, a big boy. She's a big boy in well, case she... of the core box. Yeah, yeah. And you can't really close the box with her inside. So I think that's a bit problematic and something we didn't, you know, foresee. Uh, but like other things, you can easily like store back in the core box, and you you can put in instead of like the you know punch boards and the uh you know the tug boxes and stuff like that. You just throw that out and put in the inserts and stuff like that, and you can definitely carry. Uh, all the core components inside the core box. Cool. But the Colossus is problematic, like those... It's own storage for the Colossus, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> those Colossus things are problematic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess another thing I can mention, uh, what we want to do better in this campaign is the outreach. So we're, we're really trying to get as many influencers, you know, YouTubers, um, to talk about us because... We find that, uh, for example, when we introduce our game to distributors and retailers, we actually are getting only positive uh, comments yeah. about it. So we're getting really overwhelmingly positive reviews. Like a very, a very nice. Which is making us very happy, yeah. <laughs> obviously. Like a, a very nice uh, colleagues, both locally and in the neighboring country, they're distributors. And they decided like to help a lot with, you know, getting the game to be known across the retail network and so on. And we got really nice feedbacks from all over the places. Uh, and yeah, basically the consensus is that, you know, if people spend a few minutes with the game, they mostly fall in love with it. So we are happy. Especially if yeah. they enjoy other skirmish or war games. Or if they don't actually, they or like they RPGs yeah. and combat. Yeah, games. well, this is this is what I was going to say. So, I mean, we're big Warhammer fans at, at Spruce and Brews. We play a lot of Warhammer. We play a lot of the smaller scale Warhammer games as well, like Kill Team and Warcry. Um, I'm personally a big fan of Infinity. Um, and I, I, I love this game. And it was a, a game or two into it, it, it was really, really appealing. But like you say, the the um, the D&D &D element to it as well, is also there and then you've got the unique sort of we've talked about it earlier but the the cooperative nature of it the playing against the yeah. ai it, it's it, mm. it's a really really cool game and I, 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 we, we me and my brothers we play a lot so we really really love it um, i appreciate it <laughs> uh, so yeah i, I think I, 
the, the biggest problem with the previous campaign was the outreach. We think, um, well, and of course the rookie mistakes that came along, but uh, anyways, we want to improve the outreach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's really a problem. We are coming from a country with 2 million people. Yeah, uh, we're not. Yeah, our location isn't the best, <laughs> to be honest. Well, I mean, I, I, I know as well that you've got a big community already. So yeah. there's a Discord channel, um, which is very, very active. And, very um, active, 400 members. Are amazing. Around. Yeah, yeah. Shout um, out. <laughs> yeah it, it's great. It's brilliant. And I think also as well, I, I mean, I think you... the you release a lot of the resources for free. You release a lot of um, sort of, I'll call them beta or preview rules. You know, the community is really involved in feeding back, you know, testing things. It's a great community, really. So, um, I mean, I'd say any listeners, any watchers, head over to the the Elfo Chronicles website and then you can find all of the Discord information there and jump into the channel. You can download these resources and and try it all out. So I think there was a, a tabletop simulator um yeah. version of l4 chronicle yeah. yeah we just so haven't can... updated it for a long time but like it's still as functional you as can it was. still play online yeah the, yeah, so the l4 chronicles up. version one yeah it's mm-hmm. all there yeah. um that's one thing and yeah definitely like if you want to join the discord and uh, talking to like the anyone interested in the game um just hop on to the discord ask whatever you like like uh, that community is super active everyone is excited to talk about the game other stuff as well definitely uh, and yeah, and yeah I... uh, they are also um, <clears throat> they also get like previews of the next campaign. Mm-hmm. So we will be publish uh, publishing, I guess, uh, is a strong word. But we're, we'll be um, revealing the rules very soon mm-hmm. for the Northern Wind. So as we said, they will be similar to the to the version one of the rules. But you know you'll be able to see how we adapted them. Yeah, so but on. but like community feedback is uh, insanely appreciated. Uh, yeah. And we want to develop this game with the community. Um, we are definitely doing our best, of course, behind the scenes working on the components and miniatures, but like the rules need to be just as strong. Uh, so Especially comu- for the skirmish wargaming, because yeah. we want to keep it balanced. Yeah, so community, balanced, yeah. yeah, exactly. And community is basically, you could say the only right source for you to you know see the balance to, there and yeah probably to, add, to, play to ask for opinions mm-hmm. and expectations and stuff like that so uh it's it's immensely appreciated any feedback you can give to us yeah um, that, that's one of the big draws of the game for me as well is the community i, I think that discord yeah. channel is fantastic and you know yeah. you see some companies handle it a lot better than others but i think you've, you've done a cracking job there building that Thank community <laughs> We just enjoy hanging out on yeah, yeah, it's, it's such a friendly group of people that it's very nice to be there. I mean, honestly, we, we have like bad days and we have like ups and downs, right? But they're always there to, like, you know. The, the community is always there to like bring the mood up. Like yeah. you could have a stressful day and when you see like the, the what, what's going on in the alpha community, it always lightens my day. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, keep, keep, keep being active, guys. Like, <laughs> so. Awesome. I think I think then just just to wrap up then so the campaign is um, releasing in June twentieth. Yep. Yep. Uh, L4 Chronicles Northern Wind. Um, head over to the Discord channel if you want to get all the latest news. That sounds like the best place to to get the latest and you know hot off the press news w- with regards to the campaign. Or you've also got the L4 Chronicles website. We'll put all of the information underneath here so you, so that people can find it. 
Um, well, that's been really, really interesting. Thanks very much for taking your time to come talk to us about the, the new campaign. And I can't wait for, for the campaign to launch. I'll, uh, I'll definitely be back in that one, I think. So thank you. Thanks. Thank you in advance. Like, appreciate, uh, and appreciate you having us here and going through, going with us through all the things and so on. And, you know, taking your time to basically listening us to ramble about things and so on. <laughs> it's been brilliant. It's been brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And my broken Slavic accent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, many thanks. Uh, if I can say like, um, for the people listening, I please subscribe also to the newsletter. Uh, we'll be like giving away something special for the backers during the campaign. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. That will basically give you like one really awesome miniature, uh, you know, together with your campaign and yeah, uh, please do that and well, see you around, of course. I, and I've nearly forgot. I nearly forgot the one question I definitely need to ask you. The most important question. It's not the most important oh, question, yeah. but it's it's still a good question to ask you. <laughs> ah. <laughs> so I hope you've had time to think now. So so at Sprues and Brews, we we like to ask all the people we talk to what their favourite sprue and what their favourite brew is. So maybe you can give us two of your favourite sprues and two of your favourite brews. Well, among our miniatures, I don't have a favourite one because I like a lot of them. Let's say, I guess... That I sounds really like a like... cheat answer, that does. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm, I'm giving you one. <laughs> I'm going to say the Night Temple Priestess, so the succubus. Um, she's, yeah, my sweetheart. Uh, also, I really like Kingdom Death miniatures, I guess, mm -hmm. if I have to give you another company. <laughs> Can you point one up or indifferent? The one with the umbrella, I forgot the ah, name. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like that one. The art yeah, style and everything. Oh, did you did you say the brew? Oh, and the brew. Belgian beer, I guess. <laughs> or German. Awesome. Very good. <laughs> For me, when it comes to minis currently, like my, my, my preference always changes. But currently, when it comes to Elfall minis, that would be definitely the Slayer Dragoon. Mm, uh, yeah. she, she is a cookie. Um, but otherwise, if I had to pick outside of Elfall Chronicles, which would be a more fair thing to do, um, I would probably say the Infinity Shang-Chi Invincibles. Mm -hmm. I think those were my all-time favorite. And approximately 10 years ago, like the old Shang-Chi is the mini that got me into the game. I think, yeah. Very cool. And the brew? Uh, oh, and the brew, that will be extremely cheesy, uh, but it will be vodka with uh, strawberry juice. <laughs> <Excellent>. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Okay, that's great. So, so thanks again for joining us, um, and we'll definitely uh, keep our eyes peeled on the uh, website and the campaign. I wish you all the best of luck with the campaign, and thanks. hopefully, we'll Thank get you. to speak to you again at some point in the future. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks for having words. us. Thanks for supporting us, and see you. See Many you thanks. Sorry, we're awkward, <laughs> but yeah, thank you. <laughs> in all ways possible. Excellent. Thanks for listening to the Spruce and Bruce podcast. For more content, remember to check out spruceandbrews.com and if you'd like to get in touch with us, send us a tweet at spruceandbrews or head over to facebook.com forward slash spruceandbrews.